Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. By the end of this week, your Missouri Fighting Football Tigers will be in fall camp, which means we are four weeks away from game week number one of the 2021 college football season. BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful, and Nate, I feel pretty good about game number one. I think they're going to be able to win that one. <laughs> you know how I feel about it. I feel like you're. this is a trap. You're trying to get me to say something not nice, and I'm going to say that Missouri will be favored to win. It's going to be a lot closer than you think. I think the spread right now is still at 10. Missouri, based on your advanced metric, is probably favored by about eight or nine. Uh, so we will see. Uh, we'll see what happens. But hey, the fancy numbers give them a 71% chance to win. And based on my math, that means they're winning. That is a win. 65% is about a touchdown favorites. Anything north of that's a couple points here or there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a favored to win scenario. You are not wrong. Um, which is good. That's absolutely a good thing. Um, but we are, you know, we're not quite in camp yet. Obviously the coaches are going to be having, uh, their powwow this week, uh, actually tomorrow uh, on Wednesday, the 4th, uh, coaches will be open to the media. Players will be open after that. And then Friday, they they get this thing going. So we're not quite in a position where we're talking about fall camp battles for positioning or what the depth chart could be. And listeners, just remember how drink wins in most modern college football coaches operate. You're not going to see a depth chart until Tuesday of game week. And even then, it's probably not going to be super accurate. But 
Um, we still have a lot to talk about. And, and a lot of it is kind of more college football themed, maybe be a bigger picture themed, including Missouri. But we also got kind of a, a more of a sports topic that uh, we were not around last week to talk about. Obviously, Sam and Matt got first crack to, to share their thoughts. And, and we haven't really had the opportunity to talk about Jim Sterk, uh, who kind of kind of depending on how you're reading it. Uh, I think the official term is retiring. Uh, he is sticking around uh, until his replacement is found, but he will not be the athletic director uh, by the time we get into 2022 and possibly even before that. Uh, BK, I know this, the news of, of Jim Sterk leaving took me by surprise and it seemed like it took you by surprise as well. What, what were your initial thoughts when, when this news bit dropped? I was surprised by the timing, not surprised that this was the decision that they had come to. Um, We talked about this previously whenever there was conversations about Jim Sterk maybe looking at going to UCF. I think Mizzou would have been okay with it at the time. If he decided to leave for another university, whether it was UCF or elsewhere. And I think that was kind of the first indicator for a lot of people of, oh, maybe there's going to be an AD change sooner than we were expecting. But I didn't think it'd be right before the football season. That's what surprised me was that it came now. Um, it, it seemed relatively abrupt in that regard, but there's really never a good time for these sorts of things. Like if you if you wait until after the football season, now you're midway through the basketball season and how's that going to end up going? There may be some big time decisions with the basketball program here pretty soon. So that doesn't feel like a good time. So now basically what we're saying is, You've got like a two month time period between like May and June where it's okay for your AD to leave. And let's be honest, the college landscape is never waiting on somebody's decision. So I get it. It it happens. I think the next interesting question on this is like, so what is Jim Sturt's legacy? You know, before we start projecting forward on what Mizzou is going to do with that position, what do you think of his time at Mizzou? Because it seemed to be a relative mixed bag. Um, and I, I think there is definitely some good that came with it. And certainly most recently, the good, whether you credit it to Jim Sterk or elsewhere, is the football coach that we get to talk about every other week. But I think there's a decent amount of baggage that came with Jim Sterk as well. I, I don't think... It's weird for, for the amount of time that Sterk was here to me, his legacy is going to be whatever Larissa Anderson does with hmm. the softball team. Cause he didn't hire Conzo, right? Or did he? Oh, uh, he did. Yeah. Okay. So then whatever Conzo Martin, Conzo Martin and Larissa Anderson, because he did fire Barry Odom. He did not hire Eli Drinkwitz. I don't well, care. He hired I, a football coach that never coached at Mizzou. <laughs> He, he, he was not the, he was not the deciding vote on who took over for Barry Odom full, full stop. And, and because of that, yes, he was the athletic director at the time that Eli was hired, but that is not a Jim Sterk hire. So it's, it's whatever Conzo and Larissa do. And so far Larissa's bid, you know, pun intended a home run, um, in the short time that she's been here. Uh, and Conzo has been a bit of a bit mixed bag and, and, you know, Sam and Matt can tell you why that's, that's, you know, why that is and why we can't really judge too much off of that. But what, what was Jim Sterk? He, he was, frankly, he was a crotchety old poop. You know, I, 
I, I liked him when I didn't recognize, you know, when I didn't remember he was our AD, I liked him a lot. But that was not the case. Go back to 2018 with the Don Staley defamation suit. Where he accused her of, what, egging the crowd on and called Missouri ladies basketball team racial slurs? Like, mm-hmm. what? Where, Jim? What What? What the hell are you doing, man? Um, You know, the Barry Odom fire, the day of and the, and the week after seemed pretty nip-tuck. And then the stories came out how, you know, it was a little bit of an ego battle. And, and he wasn't giving Barry what, what, what Barry needed. And Barry was kind of throwing a fit. And, you know, the clash of egos. And he fires him over it. Like, and then you and then right after that is the Eli Drinkwitz, uh, Blake Anderson. Like, <laughs> that's not good enough. Jim and like it's just like that it's so much of what his legacy is 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 mostly just a couple of hires and then some big blow-ups he could raise the hell out of money but guess what any athletic director worth their salt can raise some freaking money man like that's that's a requirement that's not a that's not a benefit that's not something that he only he can do so he oversaw a lot of money coming in and he made two good hires but that's really the extent of his legacy. And that's really replaceable. That's the thing that I always find interesting about this stuff is, man, when we think about good versus bad athletic uh, directors from the outside, a lot of what we're really talking about is, did you hire good basketball and football coaches? You know, that that's kind of how we judge it for better or worse. And there's a lot more to the job. And I understand that, but I almost think sometimes we overestimate just how important that job is. If you've got a good guy in place that can communicate well with their staff, that's probably the singular most important thing that you have in any leader, but certainly in an athletic department, uh, is communicating well with your face. And that includes alumni, boosters, fans, whomever. And if you've got right now, I think this is going to be the big thing that Mizzou needs to find. Somebody that is able to take their university's athletic department into this new foray of what college sports is becoming and is open to any ideas that comes across their desk, that's going to be the third thing that now gets included into kind of the criteria, along with, of course, the hiring and firing of coaches and making good decisions and and then the uh, fundraising, which is, I mean, everybody does that now. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing that Missouri needs to make sure that they get the right guy or gal on in this, in this search is, are you going to be able to take this, this athletic department into the next sphere of wherever college sports is going from now? Because it's changing in a big way. We just saw this week, the number one recruit for next year's class has reclassified. He's a quarterback that's heading up to Ohio state. And he decided to do so basically because of name, image, and likeness. Like he, He's going to start making money up at Ohio State, and that's why he reclassified, reclassified. That kind of stuff is huge. And if you don't have the right guy in place to be able to take advantage of everything that's about to be on the table, you're going to be left behind in a big, big way. And if, you, if you're looking at some of the comments that have come out, whether it be from the reporting by Dave Matter or by Gabe DeArmond or... Whoever else you get your Mizzou information from, it's all basically saying the same thing. I think there were questions within the university of whether or not Jim Sterk was that guy. And whoever the next guy is, he better be able to be that guy or girl. Think of an athletic director in football terms, and the fundraising is the recruiting. Mm -hmm. And the on-field product is, like you said, your, your coach hires. 
So you got to do both. Obviously, there's going to be ADs out there that are a little bit better than others in, in, in some aspects. But the thing that sets them apart, the thing that sets an Eli Drinkwitz from, apart from a Barry Odom is that outreach, like you said, is that social media presence, that push of the program, that lifting the prestige, something that Eli can do really, really well, and something Barry was either not interested or not good at doing. You need... I think it was Ben Fredrickson, and I really like this phrasing. You need the Eli Drinkwitz equivalent at AD because the money that's been pouring into the football program the past year is not Jim Sterk's doing. We've saw for three years that that was not Jim Sterk's doing. He could raise money for the South End Zone, sure, but not to get the things that makes the Missouri football program modern. Eli Drinkwitz is doing that. Mm -hmm. He is the catalyst for that. You need an athletic director who can either mimic or emulate that Um to the level that they need to do that. That's what you need to set you apart. And that's what they need to look at for that next hire. I just, you know, you go back. (sighs) I just, I I think about so much with what this athletic program has been and how Mike Alden left it. And sure. Mike Alden had some warts, but he was, he was a connected. This term is a, is kind of, you know, not a great term anymore, but I do mean a good old boy. He was really well-connected and he did a he really a good job of who happened to be an athletic director. Exactly. He knew how to push those, those buttons in the, in the media, in the public, how to make, how to spend good PR. He was really, really good at that. Um, but he struggled with getting butts into seats, especially towards the end of his tenure. So did Mac Rhodes for the eight hours that he was here. And really that's what Jim Sterk had a trouble with too. Now, he, he also inherited a bottomed-out basketball team and a rebuilding football team, but he really did not find a way to incentivize people to come to Missouri football and basketball games like they were you know, even five, six years prior. And that's something that the new athletic director really needs to do. You got to think about your opportunity costs of selling tickets at, what are they now, 120 bucks or something like that? Can you find a way... Like after the first quarter of the football game or maybe the first media timeout of a basketball game where tickets all of a sudden drop to five or 10 bucks for basketball or maybe 40 bucks for football just to get people in. Can you think of ways to incentivize the student, uh, the student fan base? Can you come up with innovative ways to get people to fill the stadium, to bring in the noise and bring in that kind of atmosphere that players want to, to play for? Because that's what an athletic director also needs to do. And that's something that's really been missing under Sterk's tenure. Yeah. And let's be honest, people go to games for reasons other than just what's there in terms of the athletic event and like people like you and me and probably the vast majority of the people that are listening to this podcast, frankly, they're going to watch the football. They're going to watch the basketball. They want to see their Missouri Tigers perform, but there's a lot of people that live, especially in the Columbia area in the surrounding areas around there that go because it's a fun thing to do on a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday evening Mm -hmm. or Tuesday night for the Missouri basketball schedule. Like, there there's other reasons that people go just like for St. Louis Cardinals games or Kansas City Royals games or Chiefs games or whatever. It becomes a social event in a lot of ways. Right. So how do you incentivize that? How do you incentivize the casual fan? Because there's only so many hardcore Mizzou fans and they're going to be there no matter what. How do you incentivize the casual Missouri Tigers fan or somebody that might not even be a technical Mizzou fan, but like going out there and hanging out and watching the game for three hours on a Saturday or four hours on a Saturday afternoon. How do you get those people 
to go to the game against Tennessee and against South Carolina and maybe even against Central Michigan. Those are the people that you've got to find a way to connect to. And I think Eli Drinkwitz has done a really tremendous job of doing that. If you can get that streamlined where it's not just Drinkwitz spreading that message, but now you've got the whole athletic department doing that for the football team, for the men's basketball team, the women's basketball team, the softball team, baseball, that's when you start kind of pushing things in the right direction. And when you pair that up with this name, image, and likeness stuff, okay, now you're cooking with gas and you've got a real opportunity to start building something uh, that could be potentially special. And the thing that's tough for me, Nate, we've seen a lot of the names. Ren Baker, Doug Gillen. Uh, I know earlier today there was a new list that was put out by Gabe DeArmond. Mark Allnut has been a guy that's been on a lot of lists, the Buffalo AD. I just don't know who the good people are to be able to actually talk about for this job because it's so damn hard to judge what these individuals have done at their previous programs. I mean, Jim Sterk, if you asked me whenever he got to Mizzou, what's he going to do very well? I would have told you he's going to do a fantastic job of overseeing the basketball program. And I have no idea if he knows what to do when it comes to football because that was his history. And then he got to Mizzou, and it was almost the opposite in some ways. Where I was like, okay, I, I don't know. Conzo, I I think it's a pretty good hire, but I, I just don't know. And then when it came to the football hire, like what I know that we shouldn't give him the credit for it, but they ended up getting it right on the football hire. So I think the same is true at a lot of different places. Is Doug Gillen, who's at App State, is he an Eli Drinkwitz guy? I don't know. Depends on who you ask. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't know. Uh, he might be. Or maybe he just happened to be at the same university at the same time as Eli Drinkwitz was there. Uh, Doug Gill, or Mark Allnut, rather. Is he a tremendous athletic director who knows exactly what he's doing? Or did he just happen to have a great coach, who's now at Kansas, uh, who predated him at mm -hmm. Buffalo? And now he's about to go on a downward trajectory now that uh, Leipold is gone. I don't know. <laughs> and so these these are incredibly difficult hires to be able to determine who is the right guy to hire at the right time for your school, because fit is so incredibly important on this. Yeah. And of course, timing, too. I mean, when Lance Leipold left, <laughs> the, the eligible pool was gone. Yeah, we were done. We were done with the coaching, you know, the coaching carousel. Uh, he he hired uh, Michigan's linebackers coach, I want to say. And it's just like, that, that's the guy who they could get. So, like, do you even grade him on that? I know he, uh, Nate Oates was from Buffalo, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. The yeah, so he had to replace Alabama, Nate Oates. Alabama um, basketball yeah. coach for anybody that doesn't know the name. Yeah. So, like, you know, he's got one season with his new basketball coach and a COVID season. Okay. Like, you, yeah, you don't know. That's why. We as fans look to these things when, when you're on the outside, you're looking at these things and trying to grasp at straws to figure out what's going to work. When you're on that committee, when you are, when you're Mun Choi, who's, who's heading up the committee or you're, you know, Pam Brazina or Todd Graves or Greg Hoberock, the, all the curators who are looking for the new AD, like you need to have a set amount of questions that you are looking for to, to satisfy what you want from an athletic director. And you got to hope that that person can answer that and, and convince you that they can satisfy that need. And that's all you can really go off of. We can, we can microbe analyze every single hire they've ever made, but that was X amount of years ago at that school at that moment. And that's never going to translate to here. So 
it's just like any other job you know, interview. It's, you never really know what's going to work and what's not. Um, you just got to hope that they can present a plan and work, be organized enough, uh, be cognizant enough of their strengths and weaknesses, hire people around them to, to supplement that, uh, and really just run a program efficiently and address the deficiencies that are currently there while maximizing the strengths. That's all you got to do. It's really freaking easy. Good luck. <laughs> Yeah, good luck with it. And oh, by the way, continue uh, bringing in crazy amounts of cash. Make sure you Mm -hmm. give Eli Drinkwitz everything he wants and convince him to stay if he continues on this trajectory. And oh, by the way, you may be hiring a basketball coach two years from now, or you might have your Mm -hmm. guy for the next decade. We're not really Mm -hmm. sure right now, but hey, good luck. (laughs) it's, It's such a tough job. And I think more often than not, Uh, A lot of these people that are in these jobs are kind of replacement level. You've got some that are really good and some that are really, really bad. And when you have one of those people, your athletic department is either going to be going in a very good direction or a very bad direction. But most of them are kind of in the middle. And it depends if they get lucky on a couple of their hires. That's the reality of this. So regardless of who Mizzou ends up hiring, we're probably going to hear a bunch of great stories about how wonderful they were in their past. And then it's just Mm going to be a matter of, okay, let's find out how they do. And it's going to take, it took a while for us to really have a read on what Jim Sterk was as an athletic director. And I think the same will be Mm -hmm. true for whoever the next person comes in, because it's going to be like three months before they determine who in the athletic department should continue to stay. And then it's going to take about six months to a year for them to really implement their strategies into what they want to do on the job. So it's going to be probably January of 2022 before we have a really good idea of whether or not the next athletic director is doing a good job or not. That's crazy to say, but it's kind of the reality of that job. Yeah, that's true. It's true. I, I, I appreciate an athletic director who does not stay in the news. So, I mean, if you clear the bar of not getting sued by a, a, a women's basketball coach, you're cool with me. Um, that's, that's fine. Uh, low bar. I understand, but um, seriously, just match drinks, energy, answer the answer the stadium capacity problem how do we get people to go to basketball go to football go to baseball for god's sake women's basketball volleyball wrestling how do we get people to go to these events figure that out uh interact with the with the public especially the surrounding boone county area get people to support the program all that good stuff so we'll we'll see i i don't know what the timetable on this is i know that like you said, Gabe had his updated list today, and obviously they're they're in the middle of the process. But I'm hoping that uh, I would bet before between, the football season. I was gonna say I hope that football camp can distract us, and that that person is hired before the season starts. That would really be that'd really be ideal. I'd be so, kind of surprised if it lasts. I mean, so the season starts September fourth, basically a month from the day that we're recording this. I would think, and this is not source but i would just have to imagine at some point within the next month i bet you they'll have a higher yeah certainly think so well we uh we go from kind of a higher level missouri sports uh, analysis to a, a conference analysis i want to talk a little bit more about oklahoma texas because speaking when, of jobs on the next 80s plate yeah i i mean when we yeah when we recorded two weeks ago god it's only two weeks um the rumors had just been dropping that Texas and Oklahoma were, were coming into the SEC. In between that, those sh- two short weeks, um, Texas and Oklahoma both asked uh, release from the Big 12, asked for permission to enter the SEC, and the SEC voted both of them in 
14 to nothing. Texas and Oklahoma will officially be SEC members in 2025. We all know it's going to be before then, but at least on the official basis, it'll be 2025. I remember saying that as an SEC fan, I was all about bringing on the best teams to join the conference. And as a Mizzou fan, I was not very excited, mostly because Texas is a dick, but also because we are Missouri and they are Texas and Oklahoma. BK, this is going to surprise you, but I have somehow soured even more on this opinion over the past two weeks. Are you surprised? Not even a little bit surprised. It makes all the sense in the world because Nate Edwards is the most pessimistic individual I've ever met. I kid, I kid. <sighs> Just some people at home know I'm very much joking. I'm not surprised that you've come to this point because I think you were kind of lukewarm on it whenever we even yeah. first talked about it. Um, but it, it makes some sense given given the programs and the caliber of programs that M- the Missouri is about to have to face on a year-in, year-out basis, especially if they go to some sort of pod scheduling. Yeah, things mm-hmm. are going to become a lot more difficult for the Tigers. I guess my... The thing that I started realizing as time went on, I'll start kind of macro and work my way back down to Missouri. And I wrote, I wrote a piece uh, that uh, was on the site today on Rockham Nation today, talking about what this move means long-term. And this is something that I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm legitimately kind of concerned about because if we've learned anything about living in the United States of America in our 20 to 30, 40 years of life, it's that, we operate off of the golden rule. The people with the gold make the rules. And if Texas wants to crash the Southwest Conference, smash into the Big 8, create the Big 12, hold the conference hostage, and then leave and make it crumble, guess what? It can do that. Because Texas, as a program, is worth $938.9 million. So they get to do whatever the hell they want. And if the SEC, the Southeastern Conference, wants to annex two of the crown jewels from a struggling conference neighbor, guess what? It can do that because it has the best football product and is worth a lot of money so it can get away and do that. So we can sit here and we can be like, ha we made the right move 10 years ago. We got rejected by the Big Ten or whatever, and we got embraced by the by the SEC. We're in a safe spot. Ha ha. Those dicks over at Texas and Oklahoma who laughed at us 10 years ago, they're following us now. Ha ha ha. We win. And yes, that that that's true today. But if this rule holds, and we know that expansion never really ever stops, right? Conference realignment is always going to be a thing in college sports. And it's always going to be based off of football. If we know those things are true, the next round of alignment, I feel like is only going to up the arms race. And to me, the only way I see it going is the elite programs, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, LSU, Florida, Georgia, Texas, Oklahoma, USC, Washington, Oregon, the elites go, yeah, you know, this conference affiliation stuff, this is bullshit. (laughs) Why don't we get together and make more money by playing the best of the best, having the best players of all the high school players, having our own thing, and let everybody else figure it out on their own. That's the next step. And I'm telling you, that Super League, you know, whether it's 20 teams or 30 teams, that Super League is not going to include Missouri. 
and we're going to be sitting on the outside looking in with South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Purdue, and TCU, and Arizona, and we're going to go, ah, crap. And I, I just, what this move means, it sets the precedent for something like that being okay. And because it's okay, that means the next round will most likely leave Missouri out. And that, BK, makes me very sad. I guess it's all well stated, first of all. My rebuttal would be this. While one individual Super League does not technically exist, the Super League kind of already exists. It's called the college football playoff. And Missouri ain't playing for it. Meanwhile, teams like Florida State previously, Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, Washington, maybe. Those are the teams that are playing for the college football playoff. And technically, they all play, like you said, in their own individual conferences over the course of the season. It's real cute. And they get to beat up on the Vandys of the world and the Arizonas of the world. And you get to play against Kansas. And that's a fun 62 to 7 win. (laughs) But the real season starts after January. And that's what we all watch. That's where the money is, just like for college basketball. It's real cute whenever you get to play your college basketball season. And, you know, there's like a couple hundred thousand people that are watching you on a Tuesday night going up against Northeast Carolina Tech from the East. Uh, Those are great. But the real season for basketball begins with the NCAA tournament. That's when, when the majority of the viewers are there. That's when the real money is being made. So I get it. And you're right. These conferences that currently exist, they're there and they they might not be there 20, 30, 40, I don't know how many years from now. But the super conference that you're talking about, the elite of the elites, those guys are already playing a different sport than the rest of us. They're already playing for college football playoffs. They're already playing in the, against the big boys in the biggest possible games in the highest notoriety of games. They're getting more money in these name, image, and likeness deals. They're recruiting at a different level than the rest of us. Like All of that stuff kind of already exists. So the only real difference that's going to happen is those teams are just going to play each other during the regular season and Missouri's not going to. And I guess I understand why that would be frustrating if you're a Mizzou fan, but I just think all of the things that we're concerned are going to happen eventually kind of already exist and have already really been in place for, I mean, decades in the sport of college football. Sure. The difference being that there is a, a whisper, a sliver of hope that because you do get the big boys on your turf where you get a crack at them during the regular season, there is an illusion of fairness. There is a, there is, there are technically national rules for the national sport. All the conferences do their money differently. They have their own referee crews. They have replay differences. (laughs) They have replay differences. They have bowl affiliations. I understand that, but at its core recruiting operates the same On the surface level, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, co- coaching staffs operate the same. <laughs> okay, the, mo- the money is not there, but there is a centralized national set of rules. If you take a super league, right, you can pull that out. You can give them their own rules, and they can say, you know what, we've been we've been futzing around with really a twenty man coaching staff. Now we can just do that on the regular. 
that you all don't get to do that. No, not you. But that's already we, happening. We like Alabama can do a 50 man coaching staff. They do. <laughs> and, and other schools can't because they don't have that kind of money. So I, you're right. Like, I, I want to be very clear here. You are absolutely correct in like perception wise. I think maybe that's going to be frustrating for fans. But I, I, I think the thing that I would like to say to a lot of fans is, your fears have already been realized. The boogeyman is already out there. He exists. He's in plain sight. We just pretend he's not there because we put uh, we put a bed sheet over our eyes at night and are like, oh, I think we're going to be okay. The boogeyman's already there and he's coming to get you. His name is Alabama and Nick Saban. But we know above anything else is that money wants more money. Yeah. At all times. And they will do whatever it takes to make sure the pores don't get it. And if the, you know, right now we're still technically jockeying for a position. There is a chance. I'll be as, as small as you can think that Missouri in the next 15, 20 years gets its crap together, puts together a program that is on par with, I don't know, let's say uh, in Oklahoma state consistently, uh, maybe in even Oregon, a new money kind of kind of school like Oregon. Um, or a Washington who's risen up before and gets elevated, not to elite blue blood status, but just a tier below. There is a chance that can happen because technically everybody's operating on the same rules. If that, if, if the playoff, which mind you might not even expand now because the sec is doing this. Um, if the playoff stays at four, you bet your ass that the super league is going to be thinking, okay, well we, we could play, you know, four games, right? Okay. What if we played 10? How much money could we get off of that? How many, how many raw numbers of people can we get to watch our games more because we have all of these brands than just waiting until January to make that cash? What, what if we did that? And at that point, then we've, we have shut down the conversation on what's a lead and what's not. Unless you introduce some kind of relegation system or the super league can, <laughs> Dub D, Knight D, a Super League team, as they see fit. We have stopped the discussion of what is a lead and what is not. Without that, if you if you don't expand the playoff and that's where they go to, we have really officially drawn the line in the sand and that's it. If the playoff expands to 12 and we have all these games, I do feel better about exactly the scenario you're talking about. Hey, season starts in January. We're cool where we're at. We'll share our money with all these other programs in this conference. And there's at least a hint, a whisper of fairness uh, and equitability. But if that realignment happens and, and these programs consolidate even more that I, I think it's worse than what you're playing up. Although I do understand your argument. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. If, if you're looking at the programs that have been to a college football playoff since this thing has existed, it's, it's seven <laughs> years now. Yeah. Alabama's been six times. Clemson's been six times. Ohio State and Oklahoma have each been four. Georgia has been a couple of times. Like, th There's just outlier programs here and there. Oregon's Michigan been. State. Michigan State has been. Washington has been. But, I mean, those are the outliers. Notre Dame's been twice. Um, mm. I mean, if you're not one of the 10 best programs in the country that has been recruiting at a top 10 level consistently, like you're probably not competing for this. Um, yeah. and, and you can, you can trick yourself into believing that you are, but realistically speaking, you're just not. And I know that's frustrating to hear and I get it. Mizzou fans. I'm like, I'm going to convince myself within the next five years. I know I will, 
that Mizzou is at the end of the season. They're going to be like eight and one. And I'm going to be talking about how does Mizzou get into the college football playoff? <laughs> like, I, I know that day is coming and I have my fingers crossed, frankly, that it is. But we, we kind of know how this works. So it's interesting, man. I I am fascinated by all of these different topics as to what this realignment means in the end. But for the here and now, like I know there may be a super conference that's coming. I'm kind of excited about the prospect of playing against Texas regularly again. I kind of like the sure. the natural rivalry that exists there. And the DeLos Dodds comments about our best years or our worst years are better than your best years. Like that, that no. quote being played every <laughs> single time that Missouri plays Texas is going to be fun for me. I'm going to enjoy mm -hmm. that. Having the opportunity to see the highlights of Mizzou versus Oklahoma every single time those two teams play. I'm kind of excited for that. Seeing whenever that game happens, and hopefully Eli Drinkwitz is still the coach at Missouri, two of the mm -hmm. best young offensive minds in the country going at one another, that's going to be really fun, man. And Missouri's mm -hmm. probably going to lose because Oklahoma's awesome, but I'm excited about that. So it's going to make things more difficult. Uh, the Tigers are going to be at a com competitive disadvantage against both teams because of the resources that they have. But I, I'm kind of looking forward to it. And I do think it when you look back at what happened in 2011, 2012, 2010, that that time period when Mizzou was making the decision to come to the SEC, I think it verifies everything that they said at the time. The Big 12 is crumbling. This is going to eventually disintegrate. And it's a matter mm -hmm. of us getting a spot at the table. Missouri now has mm -hmm. that. And until everybody that's not in the Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama stratosphere until those all those teams all leave Missouri's got to see the at the table and that, that that's that's all they were looking for at the time agree it's going to be nice while it lasts and that's what sure. I said I said enjoy it while it lasts yeah, that's I don't know how long it's going to be but let's really enjoy this because it is fun to to play the conference hegemons from you know 10 years ago uh but let's let's talk about that because Oklahoma and Texas entering the SEC if you go off of five-year averages, which is always a great, great place to start because really high school kids in particular only think five years in the past. So if you look at recruiting and performance over the past five years, Texas and Oklahoma entering into 2021, Texas is the fourth best recruiting team in the SEC now. And Oklahoma is sixth. As far as uh, five-year quality, if you go based off of SP+, Oklahoma enters as now the second best program, a core SEC program, according to SP plus over the past five years, barely edging out Georgia and Texas comes in at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. Eighth, eighth best SEC program is what wow. Texas is right behind <clears throat> Texas A&M um, by about three spots. According to SP plus uh, just for reference, Missouri, is now the 11th best SEC program over really? the past five years. Oh, I guess mm -hmm. there's some lean years in there now that I think about it. Yeah, there it is. Now, remember, Missouri was an excellent team in 2018. The record didn't quite show up, but they were one of the best teams in the SEC in 2018. Um, the, the teams below Missouri right now in five-year SP plus average, Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, Arkansas, and Vanderbilt. Yep. So, By the way, Missouri's records in this span that we're talking about, four and eight, seven and six, eight and five, six and six, five and five. So, yeah, yeah. So Oklahoma and Texas, Texas enters as uh, one of the better recruiting teams in the SEC. Oklahoma enters as one of just the better teams, period. 
in the SEC. But let's talk about wins because uh, we, you, we, you mentioned pods. Obviously, we talked last week about the or two weeks ago about the SEC networks. Um, unofficial, but probably official. Let's just see what it looks like. Uh, pod that they dropped, um, with a, with a hypothetical collection of the teams and the four team pods, uh, four, four pods of four teams. And so I, I wanted to run the numbers on what, what the percentages of Missouri beating each team would be this year. Um, just on the, on the regular schedule that we currently have and what that would look like if we were in a pod system for this year. That makes sense for 2021. Yeah. I ran the numbers conference wins as is for 2021 conference wins as if we were in a nine game schedule playing against pods. So currently as is currently projected, the 2021 Missouri Tigers are, have 3.42 sec conference wins for 2021, 3.42. You round that down basically means in an eight game sec schedule, the Tigers are projected to win about three games. Okay. If you do that for pods, and what I did for that was I picked the home pod, which is Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas. I picked uh, Tennessee and Vanderbilt because they were t- two representatives from pod B that are already on the schedule. I picked Mississippi State and Texas A&M from pod C. And then I picked Florida and Kentucky, or sorry, Florida and South Carolina from pod A. And I, that was the nine game schedule. I'm not saying that's what it is. I just, I picked the best and the worst from each pod just to even it out. That nine game schedule, Missouri is projected to win 3.8 games. Oh, that's an improvement. So 3.4 games in an eight game SEC schedule as is 3.88 in a projected 2021 pod schedule. Um, So you could probably round that up to four. So it's basically about the same. Um, Obviously, these are going to rotate. Sometimes you're going to get Georgia. Sometimes you're going to get Kentucky. Sometimes you're going to get Auburn, Alabama, blah, blah, blah. But I also ran it for 2007, 2008, and 2013 teams just to say, okay, 2021's a rebuilding team. How would our best teams do? And if you just look at the home pod, let's only focus on that. Yes, the 2021 team against Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Texas is projected to win 0.8 games. Not great. The 2007 team with Chase Daniel would win 1.89. The 2008 team that returned everybody from 07 basically would win 2.16 games. And the 2013 team, who was SEC East champions, would be projected to win 1.7. The point I'm making is that Missouri's in a really tough pod, just flat out. Um, And then it depends on the rotation that you're going to get. You know, like I said, sometimes it's a Florida, sometimes it's a Kentucky. Who knows? My point here is that your win total is not really going to fluctuate terribly much. So it's really important to schedule an easy non-conference schedule because, oh my God, Wins are going to be tough to get when you have so so many elite teams that you have to play. So I guess my question would be this. Is it all that much different than having Georgia and Florida on your schedule every year? The The big thing there is that you are swapping out a guaranteed game against a, um, a 50% blue chip roster in Georgia for two in Oklahoma and Texas. Florida sometimes flirts with being over 50%. Currently, they're not. But Georgia always is. So you're basically adding one more to your guaranteed schedule than what you're How many playing. times over the last decade would you say Texas has been better than Florida? 
Like I hear you. You're Over right. Over the last decade, like talent yeah. wise, I I think that you can make a strong case that Texas has been better, maybe even every year, basically in that span or close to it. But when you look at the on the field product, I think Florida, and this is just anecdotally, I have not looked at the numbers. I think you can make a pretty strong case that over that decade, Florida has been better almost every year. They've certainly had their crap together better. One, <laughs> um, won, won the East a couple times, both under Jim McElwain and Dan Mullen. So yeah, I think the records and the accolades go to Florida. Florida usually recruits at a pretty good level. It's fallen off just a little bit recently, but um yeah, Texas is is a prime example of why you don't bet on blue chip ratio teams because just because you recruit really really well doesn't mean you have a coach who can deploy it well. Um they've been in flux for the past couple of years, but um last on average year, it's it's really tough to beat a team like that. Last year was you the first time since 2009 that Texas lost fewer than 4 games in a season. Now that's a little the first time since 2009 they lost fewer than four games mm-hmm. in the regular season. Yikes! In the in the season, I, I was about to say that that is a little fluky, but because in 2018 uh, they lost, I think the championship game, and then uh, went to the Sugar Bowl that year, so they ended up going ten and four that season. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, that's not something you'd expect from Texas. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I hear what you're saying, and it, it's really interesting, first of all. But I, I feel like and this is just, again, anecdotally speaking, I do not have necessarily the numbers to back this up. If you're telling me every year I get the choice to face either Florida or Texas, I think I'm taking Texas. Um, other than that, that brief span where Texas was, I mean, at the top of the sport for basically almost a decade under Mac Brown. And it's possible mm-hmm. they could get back to that, but it hasn't been that way for a <laughs> while now. You think Steve Sarkeesian is the next Mac Brown? <laughs> yeah, right. It was basically 10 out of the last 35 years, though, because if you look around that Mac Brown stretch, like they haven't been good since and they really weren't all that great before. No, I mean, he, Mac was hired because Texas was scuffling like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Um, they For all of their bluster, Texas has a nasty habit of really underperforming consistently. Mac Brown did a good job when he had competent coordinators around him. Um, they started getting picked off, and he didn't do a very good job of replacing them. But, you know, it's... We, you, me, BKF, you know, audience of our ages, we grew up with Texas being good. So in our mind, we think, okay, Texas equals good. Um, But we also know the meme, the joke that Texas is back every year. (laughs) You can't always be back every year because that means you suck the previous year. So it's, it's, it's a fine line to balance. And and Texas recruiting has been weird, obviously. Uh, We'll see what they can do with Sark, but the, the the Texas ceiling is just as high as the Florida ceiling is what I'm saying. Sure. Yeah, no, that's and, true. And if they're punching that, then they're probably going to beat Missouri. But now is a good time to play them. I agree with you. Yeah, you're, you're it, it's a, as much about like in scheduling, whether it be in baseball where you're kind of in the middle of the season and you're not facing the, the tough pitchers against a certain opponent or they're dealing with some injuries or whatever. Like it's as much about when you play them as it is who you're playing. And I think that's the case in college football a lot as well. Like if you got Alabama on your schedule every year, 30 years ago, 
well, that would have been a really nice scheduling opponent. <laughs> but if you got them and you scheduled them in 2000 for the 2020 season, which unfortunately is kind of how scheduling works in college football, um, you'd be very disappointed in what you ended up scheduling on that team schedule. Yeah. It's 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 going to be really interesting because you, you play every team in your home pod and then you play a random smattering of two teams from every other pod that gets you to nine nine games. Now, obviously this is a lot of assumption here. We don't know if the SEC is actually going to do that for all we know. They just bump Missouri to the West, Alabama to the East and call it a day. Mm-hmm. But just from, from a load management of making sure you play, you know, an SEC schedule with all the SEC teams, this is what makes sense. And, and yeah, you don't get to see Vanderbilt every single year. Now that's not always been a good thing for Missouri, but still Vanderbilt's the worst team in the SEC. You're probably going to see them every three or four years. Um, you know, Ole Miss, Mississippi state typically kind of towards the bottom again, only every three to four years you get Mississippi state one year, then you get LSU or A&M uh, instead of Vanderbilt. The next year you get Alabama and it's like, okay, well crap, <laughs> that sucks. That sucks a lot. It also sucks that from, from a win total standpoint, Missouri is in the toughest pod hands down. Um, the, the pod they'd have the best chance again, oddly enough is pod B which is Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. And that's only because Missouri is more likely to beat Tennessee and Vanderbilt <laughs> a lot more um, than any other smatter uh, collection of, of, of teams here. But pod C is not easy either. You know, that's LSU, Mississippi state, Ole Miss and A&M. Like it's, these pods are very evenly split and Missouri would have a tough time with either one. Uh, but getting to see again, the second best team in the sec every single year in Oklahoma uh, your rival in Arkansas and a Texas team that at some point is going to get their ish together. Um, that's, that's a tough ask. And, and, you know, Missouri's got, we think got the right coach with the good, right recruiting. And we think he's going to be good. And boy, howdy, if we move to this model, he is going to be tested every single year. I just look at this the same way that I did whenever Missouri first got to the sec, which is sure in the sec East, what you're going to need is everything to come together the right way and for it to mm-hmm. click for you as a team and then you need a little bit of luck because Missouri on a year in year out basis is not going to be as good as Georgia. They're not going mm-hmm. to be as good consistently as Florida, as we have discussed. When Tennessee is at its best, probably not going to be as good as them either. So you're going to need some luck where those teams are either in a down season, you hit them at the right time, like we just talked about, whatever it may be. You need some luck. And you need to have everything kind of go your way with your roster management. You've got a quarterback at the right time, all of those different things. And if you have that, as they did in 07, 2010 in some regards, 2013, and then uh, 14 was just kind of a little different. But if you have all of those things in place, you've got a real shot. And so for for Mizzou, the formula then was that. And I think it's kind of going to be the same thing under this new scenario. If you have a little bit of luck, you've got the right roster, you can beat Oklahoma. We saw what that would happen previously when Missouri had to go up against Oklahoma every year. There were times when they had their chances against them and they beat them. Um, against Texas, same thing. You're going to have every opportunity to be able to beat Texas while they're down. Um, and you're just you're going to need to do that sometimes in specific years. So I think the formula kind of stays the same. It it is difficult, no no doubt about it. I'm not trying to downplay that by any stretch, but Georgia, man, playing them every year right now is is exceedingly difficult as well. <laughs> yes, yes it is. If it were up to you, and again, we're just pretending that we're the ones that are putting this schedule together, would you prefer 
to have a conference championship decided by the four winners of the pods playing each other in a mini playoff? Or would you prefer, which we think is going to happen, just the two best teams with the best record after conference play get to go play in the championship? Um, I would prefer the two pods go to a like semifinal basically for the SEC. Mm-hmm. I think the way that you can avoid that is if instead of getting two teams from each pod, you play the other three teams. So you've got a four-team pod, and Missouri is one of them. So you play the other three teams within your pod. And then like if you're talking about pod C and D for Mizzou, right? Mizzou would then play pod C, the other four teams from that pod. So you're up to seven. And then you would get one game against pod A and pod B. So then Missouri has basically a round robin against every team in pod C and D. And that's the way where I think you could avoid that semifinal game, because at the end of that, you should know who the best team is out of all of those. Right. And there's going to be tiebreakers and whatnot. And it's going to be there's going to be inequities in who you get from pod A or B. Like Missouri, maybe one year has. Alabama and Georgia from A and B that stinks. That's a really brutal draw. Right. And that's what loses them the appearance in a championship game because the maybe it's LSU ends up going against Tennessee and Kentucky that year. And they kicked their butts. They lost one game against pod C and D and then LSU goes to the championship game. Um, Mm -hmm. I get it. There's going to be inequities. There's always going to be, but I think that's the way you avoid the semifinal with the way that the sec network presented this, where you play your other three teams within your pod, and then you play two teams from every other pod. I think that's where it becomes a little bit more difficult for me to understand the logic and just going immediately to an sec championship game. Yeah, it's going to be, I want to see it in practice, obviously for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, when you get into the tiebreakers and stuff like that, it could be pretty sticky. You might have a situation where, yeah, Oklahoma got tagged on a bad day by Kentucky, but otherwise just, you know, raffle stomped everybody else. And then it's like, well, okay. And then Alabama lost to Auburn. Okay. Well, those two have the same record. Like who do we send? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, it can be sticky. And, and, and I agree with you when you, when you have a situation where there's uh there's a more consistent playing of, of rivals uh, or of, of other teams, then it can kind of figure it out. But now you're getting back into basically divisions essentially. Um, obviously there's going to be on a rotational basis, but I don't know. There's, there's no good way to do this. And I'm, I'm secretly sad that I'm not the one that gets to be in the room to decide this, but also very glad that I don't have everybody yelling at me about it. Um, but I'm really curious to see what they end up doing. I haven't heard when they're going to decide. Obviously they were pretending they have until 2025 or realistically probably have until 2022. So um, I don't know when they're going to roll it out, but it's going to be really interesting to see how they how they finagle it. It's going to be exciting, man. It, there's a, there's a lot to get into over the next few years, and um, Missouri's going to have a very good man in charge to be able to kind of steer them through this. Yeah. So let's let's dive down even further. Let's get back to our team, the Missouri Tigers. That's what this podcast is about, right? Uh, there is a little little bit of news that we wanted to touch on, and and we mentioned this in the last podcast with Marquise Graciel going to Alabama, taking a tour of the Alabama facilities. And we said, that's great. We encourage that. Everybody should do that. If you have the chance, uh, especially if you're an elite high school football player, go take your visits, get pampered, get wooed, all that good stuff. Take advantage of it. Well, well, 
I believe actually BK said we'll reassess after the visit to see if we still believe that. Um, BK, you actually pointed this out. I, I was not keeping track. You said that uh, our dear friend Marquise, he he removed all mentions of Mizzou football from his Twitter account. That's Bob. Uh, yeah, that that happened. Um, that, 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 that is something that took place. He is now listed as a four-star Under Armour All-American and ESPN 300 player. Uh, his photo is that of him in his high school jersey. His cover photo is that of him playing football for his high school. Hey, listen, I'm going to go on the positive side of things and just say, you know, this is... This is just him gearing up for what is going to be a tremendous high school football season uh, for Marquise. And I can't wait for him to show out for my new hometown, St. Charles High School. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to completely ignore the fact that uh, his current top tweet is a photo of him with Nick Saban from his high school football team's account. That says Marquise with Coach Saban in his office. As a freshman, I had no idea this would happen. Hash to err, and then it says hard work pays off. Um, I'm gonna ignore that. I'm gonna choose to do so. I'm gonna choose <laughs> to ignore the fact that he has an official offer from the University of Alabama. I'm just gonna ignore all of that. Um, and I'm he gonna can. ignore the video that he has of him in what appears to be a nightclub. It's not an actual nightclub, but it's somewhere inside of their like their version of the South End Zone complex that is much more high tech than Missouri's version of the South End BK. Zone complex. All BK. of this I'm ignoring. He's a he's gonna be a tiger. BK. Did he decommit de from Mizzou? No, and that's why I'm, I'm ignoring all of that because he's gonna be a tiger. Exactly. Exactly. He has not decommitted. He went this past weekend, uh, the the end of July, going into August. It's August 3rd. I know it's only been a couple of days. He is still committed to Mizzou. And because he did not immediately decommit after getting home, and because he is still currently committed to Mizzou, I'm going to read into it that he is still great where he is. He just had an excellent time at Club Tide or whatever the hell they're calling it. And because I, I guarantee you, we would have fun there too, BK. I guarantee it. It would be Oh, of awesome. course. And have you seen I'm, this video? I have not. I It's going to make me sad. But uh, as soon as we're done, I'm going to watch it. I it will do it's that. just him. It's the pictures that Mizzou takes, you know, uh, mm -hmm. with the kids in their uniform and whatnot. He's standing on a platform and the camera is just making a circle repeatedly around him in what appears to be a room that is dimly lit with like video boards up behind him. I mean, it's, it is very swanky. <sighs> okay. I got to look this stupid thing up. It's, I'm it's really remarkable. And if, if you're listening to this right now and you want to pause the podcast for a second and you're like, what the, what is BK talking about? Uh, go to Marquise, his Twitter account. It's at Gracial, G R A C I A L underscore Marquise, M A R Q U I S. You can follow him on Twitter. You should do so. Go tell him how great Missouri is. Um, and oh my sweet Jesus! Yeah, uh, you can check out this video of him just having. Big boy's a, got some moves. I like it, man. Having a good time at Alabama. Uh, we need you to never go back there again, my friend. Ah. Uh. He's well, tiger. It does, he, he's gonna be a he's, tiger. It's it's very cool. I I like his dance moves. It looks very cool. Um, yeah. When's he gonna start at Alabama? Three years from now? 
four years from now? Well, he's not Nate because he's coming to Missouri. Bingo. Start from day one from Mizzou, baby. He really has a chance to. That guy is so good. <laughs> hey, we lose Kobe and, you know, who knows? I mean, Darius Robinson's obviously going to be very good, but we need a bet. You know, he needs a friend and they usually play four deep. Who knows, man? Come on, Marquise. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. He does look very happy with Nick, but hey, guess what? That is a, that is a room full of mahogany. I would be very happy too. I would be super happy. How cool would that be? Well, he's next to the greatest coach in the history of the sport. So yeah, I, I would yeah. imagine. And he just handed him a sheet that says you have an official offer from the university of Alabama. Like, yeah, God, he's got all the rings out too. Oh, what a dick, man. Okay. Nope. That's smart. That's smart. Well, he is still committed to Mizzou. That is true until it is not true. Well, I understand that, but he's still a tiger. So we are good. <sighs> well, um, Last thing I wanted to touch on, and we'll do we'll do this kind of a we'll go a little fast on it, but one of the interesting things that came out of SEC media days, other than Drink, was just absolutely dominating the spotlight on the day he was in and showing that he is Steve Spurrier 2.0. Um was a little ditty that he shared about Missouri's recruiting class for 2022. Um, now obviously coaches can't talk about like individual recruits, but they can talk about their recruiting philosophy and something that stood out to me was, um, drink was not really complaining, but just commenting on the fact that due to the potential return of seniors again next year and with eligibility all in a flux that, that basically, um, drink and his staff can only really take 15 or 16 commitments before the end of the season. Okay. That's being the key word. Like while the season is in place, they are only going to really take 15 or 16 because they don't know which of these quote unquote seniors are going to be coming back, which makes a lot of sense, right? Well, currently Missouri recruiting list is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. So we're talking about only three or four more additions to the recruiting class until the 2021 football season's over, um, which makes sense. But I guess BK, let's let's try and figure this out. What what seniors do you think are going to come back for next year? Man, it is so hard to know without having some insight on um, what their future plans hold, whether or not they would want to come back for another year. But I'll go ahead and try um, to make some guesses on who I think makes some sense whatsoever um so if we're going down the list here maybe jatorian hansford as a depth defensive end uh would Mm -hmm. make some sense um a guy that i definitely think makes some sense for mizzou would be barrett bannister as a guy who can come back and be just like the consummate professional college uh receiver <laughs> who can consistently get open and he knows exactly where he needs to be like he he makes some sense zeke powell given what his college career has been like uh, maybe he could come back for another season and then the last guy that i had on this list was maybe case cook i don't know what his future holds i don't know oh. if he's an nfl caliber offensive lineman or not um but if he decided that he wanted to come back for another year, my guess is he probably wouldn't. But just to throw him out here again, this is all pure speculation. 
maybe he's another guy that could make some sense. And I guess you could throw out Hyron White as well, depending on kind of health situation with him. Right. So much of this is dependent on how they do this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that maybe it is a bit of a folly to try and do this, but Hey, it's something that came up. We know for sure. Blaze Aldridge gone. Allie green gone. Um, who else do we know is gone? Michael Wilson is out of options as well. Right. Since he's, a yeah, Michael Wilson's gone. Kiki Chisholm, uh, Kiki Chisholm, Mike, Miami, Kobe Whiteside, Aki Biders, um, yeah. Chris Turner, Michael, Chris Maietti, Turner. God, Kobe. that dude has yeah. been here six years. Um, so I, I do think, I don't know, like to me, Case Cook with a good year has nothing left to prove. So I'm, I'm more along the lines that he would be gone. I agree. Same for Tyler Beatty. I yeah, don't think. I, didn't, I, I will be stunned if, if Beatty's back next year. Beatty I, and Parker, I think are both gone. Yeah. Like running backs, like <laughs> go get a paid, dime man. a dozen go get and paid. you don't, you don't get to play very long. So yeah, go make your money. Um, agree. Daniel Parker. Okay. So obviously his blocking is NFL quality, but tight ends are really so much more of a passing threat in the NFL. Now, does he need a good passing catching year or do you think he's good to go just based off of blocking? I think he'll be all right. Um, I'm trying to think I'm, I'm blanking on a name right now and I apologize for doing so. The kid that went to blue spring South who played tight end at Mizzou. He's like Kendall. Kendall Blanton. Blanton. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Kendall Blanton has carved out a great career for himself in the NFL as a blocking tight end. He was with the Rams. I believe he's with the Chargers now, if I'm not mistaken. He might still be with the Rams, though. Um, he has been in the league for a few years now, and he's making a good living in doing so. That dude was not particularly productive in his time at Missouri as a pass catcher, but because he is big and strong and not afraid to use his body in the passing or in the running game, he's carved out a nice career for himself. So I think that's kind of the um, that's the lane that it would take for Daniel Parker Jr. in the NFL. Well, I do think that obviously college production is not always equivalent to NFL production or even what the NFL wants. That's why Sean Colkin, you know, caught, you know, eight passes in college and is still in the NFL. So it, it it's, it's just dependent on what the teams want. But mm. um, I do think DPJ, uh, to me, he's good enough to make it to that level. We'll we'll see. The only other one I can think of is Connor Wood from the Montana State transfer. Oh yeah, like if if he makes it to the starting lineup and he does well, he's gone. But I also don't know if he's going to make it into the starting lineup. So again, all kind of depends on how he a does. Junior, right. Uh, I know all of this is so funky right now. Check on the notes. on the website, he's listed as a redshirt junior. So I have him. Oh yeah, I do have him as a junior. Okay. Yeah. So he, I think he technically well, has two years left, like as is before you even in, incorporate the, the COVID year. Sure. Well, I'd love to have him back. Don't yeah. get me wrong. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming I'd love him back. I, the fact that he can make it, uh, you know, do so well at Montana state and then make the jump to the sec is I'm like, I, I like that story. I want him around. Did you see but... anybody like, would there be, if you could bet on one player and this is before the season, we have no idea what the year is going to be like. It's a totally faulty exercise. However, go ahead and play along with me. <laughs> um, if you could bet on one guy that you think, yeah, I think he'll be back next year. Who would you go with? Who would your bet be on? Oh, Barrett Bannister for sure. Same, same. <laughs> like, like, I mean, nothing against Barrett, but like, 
Like his skill set is wanted at the NFL. We've seen guys who look and play like him in the NFL. I'm not saying it's not happening, but you know, yeah, I think he's coming back. <laughs> Sorry, man. I I think Barrett Bannister is a perfectly quality college football wide receiver. Yes. Um, and, and there is nothing wrong with that at all. You can make a really good uh, career out of it at the college level. You can get yourself five, maybe six years of college education for free by doing so. And I think that's exactly what's going to take place with Barrett Bannister. He'll, he'll go into next year as a redshirt senior. He will be productive this season for Mizzou. He's probably going to play more than a lot of Mizzou fans expect him to, just because that's the kind of player that he is. Coaches love him. Um, and I think he will continue to do so again in 2022. That that would be my bet as well. I'd be with you on that one. I agree. Full agree. But we will see. We're like I said. We're you know we're we're the week the camp starts this week. About four weeks away from our first game week. I can feel the excitement in the air. Oh my god. Um. So yeah. I mean that's that's basically all I got. Any any parting shots before we get out of here, BK? I don't think so, man. Uh, if you haven't checked it out already, we're doing all of our previews position by position on the website rockmnation.com, the flagship site. I highly recommend checking those out. The um, Q and A's that we're doing with our football writers are great. I was only a part of one of them. So I'm saying that the other, the last two have been tremendous. The ones that I have not been a part of, um, this week is offensive line week. I know that's not a sexy position to really break down. Missouri's offensive line is super fascinating this season mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they have a lot of spots that could be up for grabs in this camp and a lot of upside at all of the positions. Now, there's some downside for sure, but I think the floor is kind of what they were a year ago, and the ceiling could be really good. So there's a lot of really good stuff coming up on the website. This week, we've got uh, the pass catchers and running backs from last week. You got the quarterback week the, year, the week before that. There's a ton of content for you. It will continue to be there for you in the weeks to come. So enjoy that over on the site, and uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks talking a little more Mizzou football as we get closer to the season. Absolutely. So that's going to be the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us because we love all types of feedback. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. You can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. If you're in St. Louis, you can catch BK on the radio, but not tomorrow. Uh, he is on from 10 to 3 uh, on 101 ESPN. But, of course, we appreciate you tuning in this time. Uh, we'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. -Z.